This is Lego Football. We're about to take a look at the Serie B playoff final. Carlo Ancelotti has conquered Europe yet again. An interview with a Sutterol coach that's broken all the records. An end of season look at Napoli. And it's North versus South in the Serie C playoff final. See you in Serie A. Chat the Monza players after defeating Pisa in that brilliant Serie B playoff final on the weekend. Let me give you a little bit of insight into Monza's history. Promoted to Serie B in 1951 for the first time and stayed there for 19 years. They were almost promoted to Serie A in the 1969-70 season but lost to Varese on the final day in 2022. They have finally achieved that under Giovanni Stroppa and Adriano Galliani. They will be there. Their owner, Silvio Berlusconi, he's back. Giovanni Stroppa has delivered for Monza this time. With me today is the contributor for Football Italia, the Fiorentino official website and host of the official Inter podcast in English, Richard Hall. How's it going? What a game that was. Incredible game. Unbelievable. What an advert for Serie B, no? A Serie B playoff final. I mean, we all remember when Venezia got promoted last season. There's those iconic images of the Venezia fans out in the canals. But now the best Serie B season that I've ever seen, and I've been following the Italian second division for a long, long time. Pisa looked as though they were going to do this. I mean, they were down 2-0 in the first leg. They scored in the 93rd minute to bring it back to 2-1 and just grasp onto something. Second leg starts inside 50 seconds. Tore Grossa brings it back to 2-2 on aggregate. Herd Manson, the Icelandic international defender, brings it to 3-2 in favour of Pisa in the ninth minute of the second leg. And then it all happens from there. 4-3, an away win for Monza. They won all four playoff uh, semi-finals and finals to get to Serie A. Incredible. It was, and I think that, I think you tweeted it. I, I, I'm sure you did. It was something along the lines of the fact that it's very difficult to not like any of these teams. When Toro Grosso scores that goal, the Expressio man and Sampdori man, you're thinking, okay. And I, like you, I was leaning on the side of Pisa thinking they're going to go through, but I think Monza are going to be quite interesting to watch next year. They're going to be entertainers because they do have a squad. I think of the two sides, Pisa and Monza, Monza have the side more equipped at this point. But Monza, they do have some of the hardened veterans, Marone, and they have Gabriel Paletta and uh, some really good players such as the Danish striker who was instrumental in Monza's promotion, which is uh, Christian Gitkaya, and also Danny Motta, the, the Portuguese attacker, Patrick Churia, these are names that most people don't know about unless they've been following Serie B. As a commentator, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Some of these fixtures, um, you know, Spal and Parma, they finished down in the bottom half of the table. We saw Crotone bounce from Serie A to Serie B to Serie C in the space of 13 months. This game here, 4-3, we saw goals from Torre Grossa, Hedmanson to make it 2-0. Jose Machin for 2-1. Uh, Gitkir came off the bench and equalized in this game to bring it back to 4-3 on aggregate. Mastinu in the 90th minute. How sensational was that one, Richard? That was incredible. The tempo of the game was really good as well. I think that people have had a really bad view of Serie B over the seasons. A lot of people, when they talk about Serie B, go, 
loads of red cards, terrible pitches, slow. I've always had a, a really good experience with Serie B, where he was watching Grosseto when they had that amazing season with Pinola. I've just talked to you off air about Carl Lafferty at Parma. Uh, sorry, it's at Palermo, sorry. I've watched it haphazardly a little bit this season, probably not as detailed as you, but uh, maybe because of the broadcasting, a couple of teams. Obviously, I've followed Parma because they, they've, um, you know, they've been on a lot. Uh, Como, especially because of Mola TV and all the sponsorship there, I've been very close to Como. But again, what's been nice is, you know, you've seen like Cremonese, been very good this season. Brasher, I've, I've enjoyed. Um, but the, but this game, um, I think that if people just go and watch the highlights, I think they'll be so impressed with the quality of goals this game produced. Marone scoring that header to bring Monza back into the uh, aggregate lead. And then, of course, that error at the back by the Pisa captain, Bidindelli, was the heartbreaker for me. That was a bad one. Ginkia rounded it off with um, his, I think it was his fifth goal of the playoffs. And they only played four games, uh, finishing third or fourth. For those of you who know the SETI B playoff rules, third or fourth, you have a little bit more of an advantage to progress through and qualify for SETI R. And Pisa finished third in this regular season. Monza finished fourth. They both finished on 67 points. Therefore, in this particular final, we had to have extra time and it would have gone to penalties if it was still level after the two legs were finished. A historical moment for Italian football. Giovanni Strop but it's his return to the top flight. He was with Crotone. Uh, sliding doors, in a way, um, he's going back up to Serie A with a new club. Crotone is now down into the third division. And Serie C has also been amazing this season, but uh, that's another discussion. Is this the second coming of Silvio Berlusconi and Adriano Galliani? <laughs> Do you want my opinion or Silvio's opinion? Because Silvio's opinion uh, the other day was, I want to win the Serie A and Champions League with Monza. Sounds realistic. It sounds mm. realistic. Where's his helicopter? Yeah. Where's the ride of the Valkyries? What he did for, for Milan in that time frame, we all know the story. Unbelievable what he did there for Milan. And he built a club that we all still respect today, even from an Inter perspective. But, you know, he knew that the time football had overtaken him. Uh, the world had overtaken him. Finances had overtaken him. It's like, for me, he's retired and done it in minuscule. And, you know, he's got the boys back together. He's got Galliani back and they've gone and done it with Mons. But actually, it's a very serious thing what he's done. And to bring them up now, and if you can support them and financially, and also they can be clever in their transfers and the way they run that club. Yeah, you know, I'm not, look, he's not going to win City out of Champions League, but he could potentially keep them, make them, sorry, into a, into a good City Out club. And I think... Yeah, well, look at Kiev or Verona back in 2004. Exactly. They, they came from the second division and, and next thing, European football. Berlusconi and Galliani, they leave after selling in 2017 AC Milan. They become the chairman of Monza and, of course, Berlusconi, the owner. Galliani's now 77 years old. He's born in Monza and just like you're saying, this is their little retirement project. It's It could be Milan 2.0. And Berlusconi, his nickname is Il Cavaliere, which is the knight. Is he Monza's knight in shining armour? It's interesting you mentioned the knight because I'm just thinking back about Chievo's strip. Whilst he might be saying to the press, because obviously Berlusconi likes to be out there and saying the big things that people want to hear. Like I said before, you know, we'll win City A with Monza. You probably won't, let's be honest. But at the end of the day, what he could very well do, and more importantly for Italian football, is to put um, a team 
in a very attractive region of, you know, very close to Milan, of course, Monza, um, and have a team that could sustain themselves in Serie A. And like you we'll said... We'll think of the derbies with Inter oh, and, and Milan. Absolutely, absolutely. It just gives it that little bit of prestige. And um, so it will be interesting. But yeah, I mean, what... I lots of people chuckled, lots of people laughed when Berlusconi took over uh, at Monza. But right now, you look at it and you go, just as you said before, David, this looks like a, sustain- a sustainable project. It absolutely does. Monza, they could have been automatically promoted. They had a really good period where they got six wins from seven in February and March to really push for direct promotion. Then the Bianco Rossi, on the final day, they lose. They deny themselves that opportunity and they make it tough on themselves. Four matches they needed to win. They beat Brescia in the two legs of the semi-final. Both were 2-1 wins. They win 2-1 against Pisa at home. They did it away. Huge things for Monza coming. Pisa, I'm so torn. If if Pisa won this and, and got promoted, I would have been just as happy Berlusconi is going to be back in there. It's going to be entertaining. And as an Interista yourself, Richard, I mean, there's just that little bit of feeling in the gut there, that Milan Inter feeling, maybe Monza. He might be out to bring down Inter and help out Milan in the, in the, in the next season to, to get them to a second uh, consecutive Scudetto. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, well, there's no conspiracy there is in Italy, is there? So I'm not going to say anything. Never. It will be entertaining. It is It is has that little bit of a, that derby feel, which is great. And, uh, you know, you can imagine Berlusconi thinking, right, I'm going to take down my my old colleagues and I'm also going to take down the old enemy at the same time. Yeah, and Bergamo's down the road as well, Atalanta, Monza. Of course, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Cremonese is about an hour, hour and a half uh, southeast, if my geography's right, from Milan. So, Yes, and can I just say, just on very quickly touching on that, great for Cremonese to be back. Uh, I know you. Got, I always have memories of Viali at Cremonese. I'm almost that old. Um, Floyancic, yeah. Garcia, John Aloisi, the Italo-Australiano. John Aloisi, yes. Forza Aloisi. Actually, I might just mention quickly, he, he won his first uh, A-League title as an A-League coach with Western United in Australia uh, a couple of days ago. So congratulations oh, to the former Cremonese yeah. man. Absolutely. So Cremonese back in. Lecce for me, uh, again, you know, as well, back in there. Uh, an Italian friend of mine, by the way, is a Benevento supporter and said that their recent run of form allowed everyone else to to get in there. So he did. I agree with him because I, I commentated Pisa's game against uh, Benevento a few weeks back. It was 5-1 for Benevento. They absolutely thrashed Pisa around from start to finish. Uh, what a side. They've got Lapadula, Forte, they, they brought in on loan. Uh, Acampara is my favourite midfielder in Serie B. He was with Spezia last season. He went to Benevento. He is the architect. As far as I'm concerned, without Acampara in, in, in their side, that would have been a, a very different outfit to watch. They will come, and they are going to come against Genoa, Venezia. Uh, Pisa is still going to be there. Perugia, Ascoli, uh, Spal, all these sides that are desperate to get back into the top flight. It's going to be unbelievable. You know, apart from talking, uh, always Serie A with you and you wait for competitions in other podcasts, uh, such as the Gentleman Ultra. And, you know, I've heard you on your official inter-English speaking podcast. You are one of those people that watches a lot of Serie B and Serie C. A lot of people were tweeting me on how to watch this game because some people don't even know that Serie B is broadcast 
Sadia Chia is as well. Tell me how you watch those games. Yeah, well, I'm a bit of a weirdo because I, um, <laughs> I, you know, even living in the UK, I've not watched one single English football game this year. And if there was sort of Liverpool, Manchester United on the TV, I'd be on my phone or something watching um, Sadia B or Chia. It came from a long time ago when um, the Italian football was off the air in the UK and I was almost petitioning Satanta Sports at the time, I think it was, to get it on. And fortunately, next season they did. That's not my fault, by the way. That just that was a total coincidence. And so I'm always looking for City of B and City of Chia and I was got very lucky. I know we had a conversation, David, about this word, Mola TV. I can't believe how good Mola's it is. Mola's great. And that they were showing four games per round for, for most of the season. From, and, yeah, and, in America, you've got Fox Sports Soccer that show it, and uh, in various other locations around the planet, there's they've, they've got the licenses to, to show City of Beasts. Absolutely. And it was brilliant. And so Mola TV, not only did it give us that, it gave us a Como documentary, which is absolutely insightful, uh, the Qualiera documentary, which was also uh, absolutely brilliant, and then also 196 Sports. cost you about £6 a month, which for me is brilliant because, I, look, I'm still trying to improve my Italian, and so I like to listen to a lot of it in Italian commentary. I'd rather watch, like, uh, rather than that Liverpool United game, there's me on 196 Sports watching Sudtirol because I like the backdrop. But it's, it's, it's one of those. But it's great to have. For £6, you can watch, and I'm not on commission, but you can watch Mola TV for nothing. Yeah, and yeah Mola TV is free. And, um, and speaking of Sudtirol, I've just interviewed the current coach, Ivan Yavorcic. So that's coming up later on this uh, show. Oh, superb. Um, now, I wanted to touch on something else with you. Since we're on the subject of Serie B and Serie C, you are the host of the Inter podcast in English. There have been some players out on loan sent from Inter Milan to Serie B, to Serie C. Just a quick focus on these players. Uh, one of them actually played in the playoff final, Pirola, at the back, 14 appearances for Monza, um, he played a, a fair few games. He was injured and then he came back and Giovanni Stropper counted on him throughout the playoffs. He had knee surgery this season in January. Amazing to come back from that. Uh, he missed from November to February. He started both legs of the semi-final against Brescia as well. Do you think that he might be a chance at the very young age, I think he's 20 years old, do you think he might be recalled by Simone Inzaghi or do you think he's he's ready for another season at a lower club, whether it be Monza or another City of B club? I think we've had this we, I mean, we've had this conversation before on the podcast, David. Where you know, unfortunately, whilst he might be ready that to, to play for Inter, I think he's got the talent that he will probably be back on loan because at twenty, you know, they don't trust him. It's as simple as that, and we could use that example from Napoli to Roma to God knows where. He's a very very talented individual, probably one of the best defenders we well best players we have out on loan. Um, you know, represented Italy from under 15s all the way through. You know, big, big talent. I mean, there's a lot of talk about who might go from Inter at the moment. Um, I don't think that Inter will um, allow him to come in to plug the gaps at the moment. But I would like possibly some friendlies. Yeah, I mean that that does change things. What we thought that about Satriano this season, you know, when he had that brilliant preseason and then they put him out out on loan. So they don't trust the player. So for me, and this isn't just Inter; it's Italian football in general. I think we'll be if we have the same conversation in two years. I, I probably think, yeah, maybe he'll he'll come back because um, he is a talent, and I think it's one from the very little I know from the inside because I don't know too much, but he is one that I know is very highly thought of. 
Yeah, he is. And he plays in a three-man back line under Stropper at Monza. Uh, there's a couple more defenders I'll bring up. Lorenzo Moretti at Pistoiese, 20 years old. He's a central defender out on loan from Inter. He scored a goal, 31 games. He also can play on the right side. Um, there's also one at Virtus Verona in Serie C. Zugaro De Mateus, 22-year-old left back. I think by now he's probably past that age where Inter will not recall him to take part in a Serie A season. Just going back to Moretti, just very quickly, I know he's quite highly thought of as well. But again, it's you're looking at the line of succession. And so, you know, if you keep the three that are there already and then you go back down, there is room for someone. There is room for someone. And, you know, with the Ranocchio going now, it would be interesting to see who would come through. I think Moretti is someone who will come through at some point, but not in the near future. What about Eduardo Sottini? 19-year-old centre-back, 34 games and four goals in the third division at Pistoiese. He's a left footer. 191 centimetres. I mean, he, that seems fairly promising to me. Yeah, again, this this is an interesting one. I think he could be one that comes in because obviously the Inter have lost Perisic. Gosens isn't um, a bang-on starter at the moment because he's not had the minutes. Di Marco, uh, even with links to Arsenal, looks like he's going to stay. But again, when you look at cover, sometimes a left footer, like you rightly say, it's necessity. Um, so I think he's probably one to keep your eye on more than anyone else if you think about Inter starts. Interesting. And uh, there was a couple more players. Uh, Samuele Mulattieri was really, really good at the start of the Serie B season at Crotone. 21-year-old attacker, six goals in Serie B. They were all scored in the first couple of months. Uh, Italian under-21 international. Shoulder injury, though, since March. He's missed uh, 10 or 12 games. Uh, Decent performance from Mulattieri, just like Lorenzo Luca at Pisa. They started off brilliantly. They couldn't see out the rest of the season. And also, there's that name that's always floating around, Dalbert, at Cagliari. <laughs> sure, no, I, he'll be recalled by Inter over the summer and maybe loaned out somewhere else in Serie A, or do you think he'll I stay think with he'll be, the Sardinians? I think, I think he'll be sold. I just don't think that he suits into system. Even though he can play on the left, I understand that, and if 3 5 two, he can, he's, he's capable. Dalbert, for me, I think with Inter, sometimes you get a point and it's just finished, and I don't think that's any... I'm not criticising him but I think that's done I think he'll, he will go um, because Inter at the end of the day need to recruit finances and that's an unfortunate fact so um, players like that will go out the irony is and this is the irony of the whole thing is that you would think that with Inter needing to recoup and wanted to potentially buy you know a main target um, for some money that you would allow the youth to filter through. But as we very well know, David, it doesn't happen like that on the peninsula. It doesn't. And uh, that's why we love Serie B, Serie C, because these young players get the opportunity. They go down there. They do what they can. They strut a bit of their stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of the Italian players, people, people are always complaining that there's not enough Italian players or young players in Serie A. They're all in Serie C, most of them. And, and the rest are in Serie B. The ones that are on that cusp of of making a Serie R side or they're owned by a massive club like Inter and they've got no choice they have to go down they will get a run at Pordenone they will get a run at Pistoiese so this is why we love watching the lower leagues for those of you who think we're crazy hopefully something comes of uh, Pirola at Monza and also the promising names of Sottini and Moretti 
Uh, Richard Hall, thank you for your time. Thank you for crossing over to the other side to discuss AC Milan as well. No problems whatsoever. Really enjoyed it, David. Carlo Ancelotti has led Real Madrid to a 14th UEFA Champions League title, his second at the club, his fourth overall, the greatest achievement by any coach in Europe in history. Emma Gates joins us, Italian football podcaster for Gentleman Ultra, football journalist at Liverpool.com and Serie A expert for Forbes Sports. Thank you, David. Uh, glad to be on talking about Don Carlo and his latest achievement. Was this the most difficult one yet for Carlo Ancelotti? I would probably have to say yes, it was. I mean, obviously now this is his fourth one, his fourth Champions League, um, and no manager in the history of the competition, either as a European Cup or the Champions League, has won it as many times as Ancelotti now. It's a mix-up between either this one or the 2007 one with Milan, but I would tend to give it to this one on a, on several fronts. One, if you look at Real Madrid's route from the knockout phase on. So they had PSG, Chelsea, Man City and then Liverpool. And considering the way those ties went, Real Madrid were behind in the majority of them at some point over the two legs. Just through the mentality of being Real Madrid and not knowing when they're beaten, just having that almost unyielding confidence that, yeah, we're Real Madrid, we're going to win. The fact that they did that more or less in every single game bar the final... Absolutely extraordinary run. Extraordinary. And, and Courtois in goal, magnificent. Uh, Ancelotti had to count on him as as well as Vinicius, who finished the goal. I think he knows they were dominated. I think it was 20 shots at goal to two. They got one goal at, at a 50% conversion rate. Liverpool with nothing as a Liverpool com writer. He's right in the sense that Liverpool did dominate the game. But you could you could see... And Ancelotti has come out and actually said that Liverpool's tactics were more decipherable than, say, City's in the semi-final. You know how Liverpool are going to play. Before a ball is even kicked, you know Liverpool's set up. Everyone knows it, but stopping it is another thing entirely. And Liverpool have been exceptional this year, you know. They went until mid-May and it's still possible to win a quadruple, you know, which is unparalleled in English football history. But you could see Ancelotti's game plan. Now, I wouldn't say Catanaccio, that's maybe a bit too far. But it is, you know, soak up pressure, hit on the counter, or basically just pick your moments and strike. And that's what they did. He told his son Davide that when they lost back in March against Barcelona, he reassured him and said, you know, don't worry, we're going to win the Champions League and La Liga. Is he the calcio oracle, Carlo Ancelotti? <laughs> it's either... Absolutely unflinching self-belief or absolute lunacy. It's one yeah. of the two. <laughs> well, chances are with that lineup he's got, even though they haven't made too many signings over the past couple of seasons, well, still they do have that uh, superiority complex that they're known for. The great sportsmanship between Klopp and Ancelotti after the game, the hug during Ancelotti's interview from, uh, you know, they rekindled those times back with the Liverpool-Everton derby. Um, some people are saying that Ancelotti is the greatest Italian coach of all time. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I mean, I mean, he has to be in the argument. Absolutely no doubt about it. A record-breaking season with Real Madrid. Domestic titles with yeah. not only Los Blancos, PSG, Bayern Munich, Chelsea and Milan. That's Real Madrid's 14th title. The UEFA Champions League, four titles now, the most of any coach in the history of the game. Two with Milan in 2003, 2007. His first in Madrid with 2014. Again in his second stint. They brought him back in 
to sort of steady the ship there. And Bob Paisley and Zinedine Zidane have three each, the former Liverpool and Real Madrid greats. Uh, of course, in the, in the late 70s for Liverpool and early 80s, uh, Zidane, uh, Zizou, the former Juventus great, what, in 2015 to 18. But Ancelotti's done it over the course of almost two decades. Yeah, and I think if I'm right, he's actually the first, he could be the first coach to win the Champions League in three different decades. You know, 2000s, 2010s, and now the 2020s. I don't think that's actually been repeated by a coach. I mean, you have the likes of Trapattoni, Marcello Lippi, Arrigo Sacchi. I mean, the thing about it is, say, Sacchi, you know, Ancelotti at the beginning of his career was a disciple of Sacchi. As, you know, Ancelotti was Sacchi's assistant for the Italian national team at USA 94. But, I mean, Ancelotti has far surpassed Arrigo Sacchi at this point. Sacchi was like a flame that burnt bright and then burnt out after two or three years, where Ancelotti has basically been coaching the best teams in the world for the better part of 25 years at this point. Many people thought that Ancelotti's time as one of the most in-demand managers was done. Obviously, his Napoli stint didn't really go that well. Obviously, then you had the situation where there was the the turmoil in the locker room, he resigned, then he ends up at Everton, he has a so-so season at Everton, then he somehow ends up with the Real Madrid job, and now he's won a double, La Liga and the Champions League, it's absolutely, like he's risen from the ashes almost, and it's absolutely unbelievable, and I mean, you're talking eight years between his third Champions League and his fourth, like, I I don't know what the, I think Jupp Hankness has the biggest gap between Champions League successes, but Ancelotti's probably would definitely be up there that eight years. Like, that is massive. It is incredible. And he's training up his son, Davide, who's only 32 years of age. He was the assistant manager with Carlo at Bayern, at Napoli, at Everton, and now at Real Madrid. What do you think of that? Is there a chance that his son might be able to carry the Don Carlo kingdom forward? Yeah, we, we could have an Ancelotti dynasty in kind of the same way that we have a, a Maldini dynasty. You know, with Cesare, with Paolo, and now, the, and now his son. So we could be looking at an Ancelotti dynasty here. You know, Davide will maybe take over the next five, six years and well, he'll win another four Champions League. Yeah, maybe. And on that note, with over 100 games at Milan as a player, eight years there as a coach, the success Ancelotti had in his time in Milan. And if Pioli doesn't work out in the coming year or so in UEFA competition, could you see the Rossoneri bringing Carlo Ancelotti back they're looking for glory. Is he a possible candidate? I mean, the romantic in me would love to see it because you, you, a lot of people associate Ancelotti with Milan, obviously because he spent eight years there as a manager and obviously uh, a certain amount of time there as a player. But I generally think that maybe the Italian national team may be his calling following maybe Madrid and once maybe Roberto Mancini moves on. That's what I was going to allude to. Would he be better served as national team coach given his age of 63 once Roberto Mancini's time is up? We're both agreeing with that one, I think, Emmett. And speaking of the Italian team, I will see you at Wembley for the Finalissima. Italy takes on Argentina for the Conmebol UEFA Cup of Champions. Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, I've just seen the, the squads released by both by both managers and you know there's you know big players on both sides they're not they're not treating it as a a meaningless friendly so yeah really looking forward to that Giorgio Chiellini's last game in an Azzurro jersey 
He led Italy to greatness there a year ago, beating England at Wembley. A hostile crowd. I was there to see it. It was simply amazing stuff. Uh, the way he also, uh, you know, manhandled some opponents, uh, <laughs> allegedly. Uh, it'll be fantastic to see him in action again in his final outing. Uh, it was a shame that uh, his presence couldn't get Pisa over the line, his beloved Pisa. That's where Chiellini was was born. He was there at the Serie B final last night. I'll get your take on what you think of Monza coming up to Serie A. You know, I always like it when new teams or teams that haven't been in Serie A for such a long time get back up. Like obviously we're seeing that now with Criminese this year and now Monza. So I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Monza back in the top flight. I mean, you could probably tell this better than me. Like when was the last time Monza were in Serie A, if ever? Well, Monza have only ever been in Serie A on Football Manager games, so uh, this is the first time in history and it could be a Milan 2.0 situation. They used to be the feeder club for AC Milan back in the 90s and then Monza fell away. They were in Serie C, Serie B, and uh, they've only spent the last two years in Serie B after coming up from the third division. We'll have more on that later in the show. Emmett Gates, thank you for your time. Not a problem. A pleasure, David, as always. Are talking today to the coach of FC Sutirol, Ivan Yaborcic. Ivan, welcome. Thank you, David. Sutirol is going into Serie B here in Italy. They've won the Serie C championship with Ivan at the helm. His tenure in just his first year as well, which is unbelievable. So I'm, I'm going to talk about a couple of statistics that you uh, achieved this season. These are unbelievable numbers. 28 games, undefeated streak. 18 games undefeated until Christmas, then 10 more after Christmas. You had a 2-0 win over Triestina to, that confirmed this title for you. You beat Padova, coached by Massimo Aldo by five points. You had the best defense in the whole country. And in the Europe, uh, either. And in Europe, okay, well, okay, there's a tick. Beautiful. <laughs> there's a step that we made. And you conceded nine goals and 29 clean sheets. Yes, yeah, uh, when you talk about it, it's, it's really impressive. But uh, the, the football is a game uh, of everyone, you know. It's not about one player or one coach. It's a very uh, collective game. No, it's about collective mind. And uh, how do you say it? Uh, Team effort. Uh, the team effort, yes. Uh, and the club. Italian, a team effort. Yeah. So it's uh, it's a really impressive numbers. We we conceded only nine goals. I think uh, because uh, we have a great culture of uh, of work, uh, discipline, uh, the quality of players, and uh, but not only in defense. When we have the ball, uh, I think it is influenced by the with the way we we. Uh, what we do when we take the ball. So our possession is one of the best. Uh, our opponents have the less time to, to beat us. It's all about the complete game, no? Uh, yeah. Total effort of the, of the team and holistic approach. Well, you're a, you're a very modest coach. You lost twice in the season and both were 1-0. What was it like to finally lose a game? Uh, it was a relief in a way. Uh, so people like to say it's all about big numbers, no? So uh, when, when it arrived, uh, okay, it arrived. Uh, it, we were obviously no, not pleased with it, but uh, it was an okay moment for uh, for restart, no? 
to yeah. better, to to even be angry because we lose the game. And even the loss is important because it makes you feel uh, more humble, more uh, respectable of what you did. So you can restart to do what you did uh, before. In your time at Russia, you played with the Filippini brothers, Giovanni Stroppa, uh, yes. Daniele Bonera, uh, Florin Graduchoyu. Yes, a, great player. A, a, a great player, the Romanian striker. Yeah. Yes, and uh, as you said before, Andrea Pirlo. Yes, even Roberto Baggio. I have an honor to, to play uh, with him and uh, with Luca Toni. It was, uh, I had a really uh, great luck and honor to play with uh, such a great uh, guys. That, uh, they, they make history of football. So I learned a lot of, uh, about them and uh, it was a great time. I've read some other interviews with you uh, from some Italian journalists and I've, I've noticed that when you realized Roberto Baggio was in the dressing room, what were you thinking? I had the posters of Roberto Baggio in my room, so I, when I see him, I couldn't believe it. I was, uh, how do you say, timoroso, no? I didn't know what Shy, to say, yeah. how to act. Once you get to know these, these guys, you, you, you become to realize that uh, their greatness comes from their simplicity. We hope that you all enjoyed today's interview with the Sutterol coach, Ivan Javocic. It's been a pleasure and we'll talk soon. My pleasure. Thank you very much, David. Grazie mille, veramente. Ti ringrazio, Ivan. That is a snippet from the full interview with Ivan Javorcic, the Sud Tirol coach. He's taken that team from the third division. They're going to play in Serie B in 2022-23. And I will indeed post the link to the whole interview on Twitter. What I've got coming up next is another snippet from a podcast that I was invited onto. It's called the Forza Napoli podcast. The host is Joe Fischetti. I recommend going to check out all of his content. Embrace yourselves for the big Italian anthem at the beginning. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. So let me begin by introducing today's guest. He is a commentator for both Serie A and Serie B on the English World Feed. David Ferrini, welcome back. Hi, Joe. Hi, everyone. Hope all the Napoli supporters out there had a good end to the season. Four in a row. Magnificent stuff, in my opinion, anyway. So, and a really good season. But thanks for having me on the show. Comparing Napoli's ascent from Serie B with Genoa and now see where Genoa is. They've won four games all season. We just had a winning streak of four games. Yeah, exactly. I love using that to just kind of help people ground themselves because Genoa, to go down such a historic club and, and to compare that to, to Napoli fans being upset about not winning a Scudetto is such a big difference in terms of how the club has been run and, and what's... You know, there's almost become an expectation now that we're competing for the Scudetto. I think De Laurentiis didn't help the debate by saying that the goal from the beginning of the season was to finish in the top four. And he did kind of retreat from that position. But I think those original comments are kind of seared into Napoli fans' brains and, and it's hard to, to forget them. And maybe even there's a sense that he retreated only because of the backlash he got from Napoli supporters, although that never seemed to bother him in the past. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't feel disappointed about the way the season went. I think this is one of those cases where two things can be true at the same time. I think 
it's you know it's right even to feel disappointed that we didn't win the scudetto for how close we got but that at the same time does not mean it wasn't a successful campaign i think it's definitely a more competitive league and when you take into account teams you know you might might see atalanta struggle that's inevitable napoli's rise has been mainly thanks to smart investing 15 years ago you know getting your hamzigs and your lavetsis at 5 million euros a piece and selling them for ridiculous amounts or Cavani coming in or whoever and good coaching look what they did in the summer they went and got Anguissa on loan and Juan Jesus for free that's what teams like Napoli need to do yes you might say that our biggest competitor over the last decade got worse and stayed worse in Juve but there are all these other teams that I think I agree I think it's just a more competitive league and then I think Napoli can be just as competitive next season, but being competitive is one thing. It still takes a lot of different things to happen to then win the Scudetto, right? So I'm curious to know your thoughts on Luciano Spalletti's first season in charge at Napoli. I looked at some stats and I think Spalletti's performance, obviously with the two points extra, his uh, points per game average is uh, obviously higher than Gattuso's. It's also higher than Ancelotti's. I think only Sarri has averaged over two points per game since the resurrection from Serie B. So, look, I think he's done well. He's got them to third position. Yes, there was a push for a possible Scudetto. But I think in his first year, considering, you know, you have to play what you're dealt. And he had a loan signing in the summer. He had Juan Jesus because he remembered him from his old days in Rome. He then brought in Tuan Zebe that played 10 minutes in the season. Beside that, I mean, he, he had Unas. Unas came back in. He only played 15 games, didn't score a goal. So he had to make do with what was already there. And he also had to deal with AFCON. He had injuries. There was a bunch of players that played over 30 games. So they played most of the season. But then you've got your impact players like Koulibaly, Oshiman and Angiza. And I think Napoli is on par with Milan for best defense in the league. They scored five more goals than Milan as well. The third best attack overall behind Inter and Lazio. The two losses against Empoli and the home loss to Spezia, that's what hurt. But you could say the same for Inter, the Radu situation. You know, the good thing is, even on the last day to finish off the season with a 3 0 win. It was important to do that, and he rotated 10 of 11, but it was important he did that because to exercise the demons of constantly losing to teams like Spezia, and they got them on their home turf. It was 3-0 after 36 minutes. So close out the season with four straight wins, and Napoli achieved winning streaks of four games or more on three occasions, and that was one. So that's a real positive to end the season on. I know some of his critics will say that he never won anything before other than, you know, in Russia, but we just watched Stefano Pioli win a Scudetto, so I'm not going to hold that against him necessarily. So let's start with Gianluca Gaetano, who had a bit of a breakout season at Cremonese. They earned promotion to Serie A. What can you tell us about Gaetano and his season? Fabulous season. Gaetano was a revelation. You know, he's had a couple of of good seasons now on the chop, but this one was definitely his breakout season. I think he got seven goals in, in Serie B. You know, a couple of goals, solo goals, that will really amaze 
Napoli fans that haven't seen these highlights. He he really is a, a blistering player. And he can play, a lot of people think he's going to be a, a central midfielder or a pivot, and he can play that role. But he often finds himself alone up against uh, two or three guys to beat. And one of his goals, he actually does that. Some very important goals as well. He also got a call up to the Italian under-21 team set up, which was good. But important goals against Brescia. He scored also against Monza and against Regina in one of the games. But from what I've seen, he is definitely someone that Spalletti should think about bringing into the squad for 2022-23. Yeah, he seemed to heat up, especially in the second half of the season. He scored five goals and three assists in the final 13 rounds, and he won the Player of the Month award for April. So he definitely played a key role in helping Cremonese achieve promotion. Now, from what you've seen, do you think he's ready to play in Serie A to make that step up? I think he is, yeah. I think he's ready. He was one of four really classy Cremonese players to get them directly promoted. And for those who have been watching Serie B or following it, it has been really tight up there. And to beat teams like Monza and even Regina who finished mid-table, but they were in contention for a while to make the top eight, or your Brescia's who did make the top eight, those are big goals and those are big moments. He, you know, with uh, Fagioli, who's on loan from Juventus to Cremonese, you got Zanimacchia there, all these players just gelled, and it's quite a young setup. Also, Carnesecchi is a Cremonese. Also, for those of you who don't know, Cremonese is coming up to Serie A next season. Pleasure, Joe. All the best for the summer, and keep up the great work. Love listening to your pods. And to all the Napoli fans, Forza Napoli. Champions League's coming, so reason to smile, reason to be optimistic. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to hearing that anthem again. Yeah, all Napoli fans are looking forward to hearing the Champions League anthem. And do remember to check out all the Forza Napoli podcasts. Joe also tackles the Femminile for Napoli and also the Primavera, which he's just covered in the latest one in uh, at the end of May. So we're going to take you through the Serie C playoff final. It's going to be contested between Palermo and Padova. The 5th of June in Padova, then the 12th at the Renzo Barbera. Padova, coached by Massimo Odo. They've clinched a final spot after defeating Catanzaro in the semi-final 2-1 with goals from Curcio and Chirico. There are players of interest in this part of a lineup. Antonio Donnarumma, the brother of Gigi, the former AC Milan reserve keeper. Also Salvatore Monaco and Jacopo Desi, former Serie A players there. There's even a Ronaldo playing in midfield. Seven goals for the 32-year-old Brazilian who formerly played at Salernitana and Empoli. Nico Kerwin, son of former New Zealand rugby legend Sir John. He's up against Palermo. Four goals for Nico. So led by Silvio Baldini. Palermo over two legs. They emphatically beat Feralpi Salò 4-0 on aggregate. Brunori, Floriano and Soleri in the first leg. Brunori again at Renzo Barbera in the second leg. That's 28 goals for Matteo Brunori on loan from Juventus, the 27-year-old with Brazilian roots. So do make sure that you tune in for the 12th, at the very least, the second leg of the Serie C playoff final. I'll take you through a little bit of history with Monza before we wrap up the show. Biggest signings, Mario Balotelli, you'd think, or Kevin Prince Boateng. Well, they weren't there. It was Christian Gitkia and Patrick Churia. 
the likes of Danny Motta and Barberis and defensive players such as Pirola and Paletta with, uh, with Donati, with D'Alessandro and Carlos Augusto. They were promoted to Serie B in 1951 for the first time and stayed there for 19 years. They were almost promoted to Serie A in the 1969-70 season, but lost to Varese on the final day. Then they missed another Serie A spot as Pescara beat Monza in a playoff in the 1970s. By the 80s, we started to see players like Pierluigi Casiraghi and Alessandro Costa-Curta fluctuate between Serie C and B with this club. And by the late 90s, there was that Milan-Monza record through President Giambelli, who looked to take on Milan's fringe players. In swooped Berlusconi and Galliani and Fininvest to bring the club back to Serie B after a 19-year hiatus in the second division. And now the goal has been achieved. They've elevated Monza to where they've never been before, and that is to Serie A. Finally, be sure to check out all of the podcasts. If you get on Twitter, you're able to find the links to most of these Italian footballing podcasts. Uh, Forza Napoli podcast, Rigore, Forza Italian podcast, Italian football podcast, Serie A analyst pod, Serie A chronicles, Tifosi down under, Cultural and the Gentleman Ultra, and all the dozens of others out there. Buon lavoro, keep up the good work, keep it coming. All the supporters groups online, Lega A, Lega B, Lega Pro, social teams, all the individual club crews that deal with the public and commentators, all the pundits in international broadcasting territories that learned more about Italian football to help spread the word, all the fans and those involved with all levels of Italian culture. We all need to keep the movement going in order to help promotion of the beautiful Italian game. It was my pleasure bringing you this broadcast. That's all from me, David Farini. This is Lego Football. And special thanks going out to Richard Hall, Emmett Gates, Ivan Javorcic and Joe Fischetti.